today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Adam Oldfield, the president and CEO of FPM and FPM3 Marketing and the CEO of Vacuman, who sponsored this fine program, uh, is with us once again. Been a couple of weeks. I've been away for a while. Uh, good to talk with you, Adam. Yeah, same here, Bill. I miss you, man. You know, I just well, kind of keep going, and Rick's fantastic, and every so often I throw Bill at him. He goes, nope, nope, it's still Rick. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that, Bill. As I'm continuing, <laughs> I hope you had a great time off and got to relax. And I'm we sure, sure you're, uh, you're all You're all charged up and ready to go. I had all the back episodes of Tech Talk over the last couple of years that I listened to on my holidays. I mean, that's what I do in my time off, uh, and it was fabulous. I want to start off today with a story that actually has been in the news all morning, and I, I was intrigued by it, and I wanted to get your read on this, and that's the news about Apple and this uh, photo hashing system. Now, on the surface, Adam, this sounds like a really good idea because it's uh, essentially to detect child abuse images uh, using photo libraries, but there's a lot of concern about this too, isn't there? There is. There's a lot of situations behind the way it's being spun. I mean, the PR department at Apple is doing a phenomenal job in identifying how their new system that rolls out is going to be for the best interest of society. However, the the, the real reality of this is that, you know, um, it's it's always been there, Bill. And I think this is a bit of a uh, their alteration of the algorithm that's happening is that it's taking an image that is being uploaded to the iCloud and, and, and Apple is able to categorize it and, and put it into silos that can be able to uh, say structure like Google Photos has been doing a while. So for example, you might be able to type in uh, boat in a search function in your photos and it will show variations of, of a boat. It would be able to, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tesla and it would uh -huh. show any photo with a Tesla in it. So this algorithm has existed on other platforms with photos. This photo hashing system though has a bit of a, we're doing it for your own safety and the algorithm's going to not infringe on your privacy because as it reads a photo, identifies the content behind it, what it's going to do is then take that data and be able to organize it in a way that may be questionable in the case of, you know, uh, a pedophile uploading inappropriate photos that would then put alarm bells or flags up, up to the authorities. So this is really uh, how Apple is coming out with it is your privacy is our priority. We're going to be identifying Apple's security and confidentiality is always far none. However, um, the way I message right now, when I send a photo through a, a message to another Apple user, that image is going through the iCloud. That iCloud photo is where there's some question uh, that is about to take place. Is the information that's in this server that Apple holds, is it technically really that private? And the authorities, the FBI and, and CIA and all of that, with the proper warrant in the United States, uh, can easily be able to access it through Apple. So that's nothing new. That part hasn't changed. All it does is it makes it easier when they want to go in and look for a photo. It more or less categorizes it and catalogs it. So the CIA doesn't have to work so hard to find out where and what those photos are. But the problem, and you talked about this with so many other innovations, not just with Apple, but with others, when they say, don't worry about it, it's secure, that's based on the premise that everybody plays by the rules, and, and not everybody does. 
Well, it, it, it's it's based on two aspects. You're right. Does everyone, you know, everyone plays by the rules, uh, plays by the fact that we're all doing the, you know, no one's going outside of the scope of the law. Um, and then it also has that other element of, you know, when we're talking end-to-end encryption or E-to-E, if, if you know, some of the abbreviations you hear, um, what that also means is the government, if it's encrypted, uh, doesn't have necessarily access to it. It means it's locked out, which is why Signal, which is one of the messaging apps that is not stored on a server is the most secure technically to use. Apple is using this, you know, nothing's really encrypted or, or protected if someone can get access to it. So it yeah. doesn't really, doesn't make sense to say it's end-to-end encrypted, but uh, if they sign into the server, they can see it. Well, that's not encrypted. Uh, there's a decrypt code and that is available. So yes, to answer the, the question is, we are not truly protected and have full privacy, even though it may say it is uh, protected otherwise. All right, let's. Uh, I got to move on. I did a lot of research, by the way, because you've talked so much about EVs over the last uh, couple of months, and frankly, so have governments. I mean, you know, uh, the federal government in the states and Canada, provincial governments, even here in Ontario, have made huge commitments uh, towards the research and development for electronic vehicles. The automakers themselves uh, have done this now. I mean, a year and a half or so ago, all we were talking about was Tesla. Usually, uh, now everybody's getting into the game. But the concern has always been, and you brought this up again last uh, time you and I talked, is back batteries. Uh, they've got to do something about the batteries. They've got to make them more efficient. Uh, the fact that, you know, when these things are dead, where do they go? Uh, uh, they're working on this. And, and my understanding now is there's some pretty interesting technologies that are being developed there. Well, you know what? One of the things I love about the show is it also educates me. And I, and I, as I go through this, I, I want to make it clear to the listeners, I am not a battery expert, but I sure am learning a lot about it. So the one thing for certain is there's a real push. And you, as we mentioned, there's a, a in Canada specifically and worldwide is that they want to create a more energy, uh, energy efficient, uh, obviously uh, carbon free environment. And these, uh, you know, talking Tesla uh, have been building out these electric EV cars. Uh, and so the real question is obviously uh, battery power. Battery power is like fuel. Right now, EV vehicles are not as efficient as fossil burning fuels. So the goal is to get less than $100 per kilowatt is the value. So there's lots of variations going on out there. Last week, uh, when I was speaking with Rick on, on Tech Talk, I was discussing how hydrogen is really a push right now with yeah. regards to Toyota. This week, is there's new battery forms coming out. And this one's a little more relevant to Canada, particularly because uh, it's got a little bit of an investment and development from ArcelorMittal. It's called X-Carb Innovation Fund, and it's using another battery element called open air, um, the or sorry, iron air energy, which is really, let me dumb it down, rust. Um, and what it does is it's taking that kind of element of, of, of again, chemical, non-toxic elements and, and storing and creating this electricity Here's the real thing I liked about the iron air energy bill is that it isn't flammable. Um, you know, this week, I think we, uh, you know, I talk hack of the week and we got one coming up, but soon to be on tech talk, I will be probably calling the uh, lithium explosion of the week because it seems now as more cars are rolling out the uh, explosion of more lithium batteries from overcharging, catching on fire is becoming a regular thing. This new development, Iron Air Energy, which is uh, associated with our local ArcelorMittal group, uh, has investments from Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, 
That is why is it because this is good news again? It's non toxic when it breaks down, it is uh, uh, very, it's not flammable. Um, it's got a phenomenal energy backup. The only thing that's really, really unfortunate with this new technology is that it doesn't, it takes a long time to charge. So, as much as we want energy to go distance, the problem is, is charging is a real problem. And so this unfortunate area of iron air energy is great. It's inexpensive. It's got a lot of benefits, except it's going to take a lot longer to get that charge right back up. So it's a great gap. It's a great gap filler between lithium, which is quick charging, quick deliverable. Uh, and this will be a great comparable. Uh, I call it gap battering between giving that extra charge and being able to give the distance. You know, the nice thing about this is uh, a lot of these innovations you're talking about uh, are driven by the industry themselves because they've committed to EVs now and they've got to make them more efficient. Uh, people are not going to buy them, as you mentioned, in Canada be simply because there's a lot of distance between cities and communities here. Uh, we do a little more driving than some of the European countries do, for instance, and, and we've got to make them North American efficient. And, and judging by the story you mentioned today, they're working on that. Yeah, they're they're coming along with new developments like this that are in that in that trust of obviously distance for sure. The biggest biggest issue right now, and and it's being raised every week, is that you know EV vehicles are supposed to be environmentally friendly, long term development. As I mentioned, the cost has to come down. But when these vehicles are done, or you know they've run their cycle, so to speak, uh, you know lithium batteries are not easy to recycle. They become really a landfill on wheels. Yeah. So this is some big, big concern. And uh, a lot of companies and corporations and government included are aware of the problem, but they want to be able to find a way to be able to adapt and, and, and fix this. So it's not a massive landfill problem. And we didn't create a worse situation going to electric vehicles. You're talking a few minutes ago about uh, people that don't play by the rules. Let's uh, segue from that right into the hack of the week. And it's uh, in San Diego this week, apparently. Well, yeah, this one's a doozy. And, and the reason I bring this San Diego hospital Hack of the week to uh, to attention is the fact that cyber criminals were able to hack in not only to the patient information, they were able to access everything, financial, medical details, social security numbers, everything. For the last four months, all of this data was being able to be retrieved. Nothing of ransomware was being uh, done at this case. But in, in this circumstance, it's again another warning that our medical system, particularly, and I think of Canada as a, uh, Ontario, really uh, right down to the roots of it, is uh, volatile to being hacked to a degree that what information are they going to get? Now, this is a massive breach, Bill, because the data they were able to get, they could literally take identity theft to a whole new level. They have everything they need, um, medical answers, social security, financial background, what their incomes are. I mean, you know, normally it's logins and passwords and otherwise, but this one was a doozy, uh, not necessarily from a financial side, but from a massive every medical patient and uh, employee of that of that hospital could be identity theft fairly, fairly easily. Now, were they after a ransom in a situation like that or just gathering information for research? They were gathering information. This wasn't a ransomware. They only discovered it through one of the uh, uh, a backup system. They weren't using this information to encrypt. They were looking for, like specifically, going in for the identity theft side. 
which, as you mentioned in the past, means they can resell this to whoever wants it on the uh, on the, the dark web. And, well, it's, it's a problem. So uh, that's why we try to keep people up to speed on this. Uh, one of the things I love that you do in the program, too, is also you, you shine the light on some local products as uh, they come to your attention. Uh, and there's one right here in this area. Talk to us about Pete Sorb. Okay, so the reason this got me excited, and, and when I get excited about tech and new innovations and otherwise, when it really matters in our local city, Adam kind of pops up and I get all giddy like Circus the JoJo Monkey and I just go crazy. So this is unbelievable, Bill. And, and I say this because in the news recently, we've been talking about our water system right here in the city. Uh, I don't need to bring it back up again about what's going on in Coots in our own uh, Hamilton Bay Harbor and, you know, blue, green algae and everything else. Um, a Canadian made product original, originally developed uh, out of Alberta takes a peat moss. I'm going to dumb it down a little bit. And uh, the company is called Peat Sorb. And it's 100% natural, Canadian made. They dehydrate it down. And what's great about peat moss and the, the dehydration process they came up with is that it is able to trap and hold uh, uh, hydrocarbons. So oil, blue, green algae, um, this literally will soak it up. So pour a bottle of oil. Why would you want that? Or just go down to Coots Paradise um, and just put any of this on top of the bay and it will be able to absorb all those hydrocarbons right up, lumps it up nice and thick. And then when you scoop it, you squeeze it, it only releases fresh water. It is, I've seen this in action. I got a chance to speak with uh, uh, Neil locally, who is uh, representing Pete Sorb right here in Hamilton. And we were talking about Hamilton and how great it is. And 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 he's got this now uh, used in fire departments, Delta Airlines, Canadian Tire. This is a great, a very excited story. Uh, and the city of Hamilton finally has a solution to a problem that we could easily fix it with a local product. So uh, they're using it right now in, in Saudi Arabia. They've used it with the oil spills in the Gulf. Um, and this is proudly Canadian made and with peat moss of all things, Bill, peat moss right here in Canada. Excellent stuff. Uh, got a few minutes left here. I want to talk about uh, another great innovative idea that tied into uh, modern medicine right now, this brain computer interface company. Brain computer interfaces are happening at, a, at an exponential rate. I mean, I spoke about this a few weeks back with Elon Musk, and he had implanted a, a chip inside a pig. They have just approved through a New York-based company, Synchron, is now been given permission under the Food and Drug Administration to test it on humans. So what does that mean is that we always understood it was capable of working with anyone who had uh, paralysis or maybe we're, we're, we're having some challenges in communicating. This new element is now being approved in the USA where they'll be able to actually implant the chip into uh, humans and be able to integrate it directly with artificial intelligence, giving the patients the ability to communicate through a computer. Um, this is amazing uh, uh, news, Bill. And, uh, and and I mentioned this in the past, this is great innovation moving forward. However, uh, as, uh, as we see everything that has its benefits, there may be a little bit of a, a kickback. One of them, is a lot of brain implant patients that have used it in different circumstances have been addicted to it. And uh, when they go to remove the chips, this is one of those, they go through a withdrawal situation, which um, we may be going into a cyberpunk environment moving forward. But the FDA has approved it and we can expect to see that these new technological implants into our brain are probably going to solve some medical problems that have existed for years.
Excellent stuff. I've got to squeeze one more in here because uh, we, we do the hack of the week every week. We should probably also do the tech uh, court case of the week because there's always one. Because uh, you mentioned this some time ago. Uh, Zoom, of course, you talked about encrypted information just a couple of minutes ago. And we've all started using Zoom because of the lockdowns and everything else. And, and Zoom said, no, 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 no it's information safe. Everything's encrypted. Uh, not really. It wasn't. Uh, and and uh, there was a class action suit against that. What's the latest on that? Well, the class action suit is settled and over $85 million is to be distributed uh, across many users of Zoom that paid. So if you were a, a, a purchaser of Zoom, of their services, you'll be able to actually get a portion of this $85 million. Um, again, yes, they were promising encryption and security, but many people saw uh, Zoom bombing happening. I mean, I was on a Rotary Club of Hamilton presentation doing an award show and it got hacked and, they, and I'll tell you, it's very disturbing to say the least. So uh, that said, the promises of what they claimed have now been settled out of court. So if you were a purchaser, if you did subscribe to Zoom, you are entitled to $85 million. But let me just be clear, Bill, that $85 million would equate to $25. That's about as much as what every purchaser subscriber will get as part of the uh, after lawyer's fees and everything else. So it, it's going to work out to about $25 uh, back. To the Boy, that doesn't even cover the cost of the subscription. So, <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel a little better. I'm just making a point I, I, that it's. I suppose. It's, it, it makes you feel like okay, yay, justice has been served. Uh, but the you know the only one that won in this case was truly the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is Tech Talk. We do this every uh, Friday at 11:35. Brought to you by Vacuum Man, Adam Oldfield. Thanks as always, bud. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Bill. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.